Welcome to Trading for Keeps. This is Brian. And this is Michael. Today, we have a special guest with us, Sean Thomas. And Sean is on his journey, like I am. I I mean, we're all really on our journey, but I met him recently through a mutual friend, and we thought we'd bring him on to talk about his journey. Um, I think he's got a lot of things going for him, and I just, I'm excited to uh, find out more about him. So, Sean, welcome to the show. Yes, thanks so much. Uh, I'm Sean, and I live in Seattle. And uh, yeah, I've been uh, working on trading and I'm a software developer here in Seattle. I'm a consultant for Logic 2020 and I am uh, definitely excited about the trading and learning as I'm going. So one thing we always like to start off with is your first interaction with the market. You know, how did you get, you not even necessarily get hooked. How did you start out? What was that first interaction with the markets? That, and that's a great question. Uh, so in 2017, when Bitcoin had its first jump, that's when I started talking to my friends and they told me about trading and they're like, hey, buy this Litecoin. And I was like, well, what's Litecoin? And I was like, OK, so I bought ten dollars and then it went up and and then I sold it. And that was my first thing. And I was like, wow, that's like that's pretty amazing how I can just use that leverage and start making money. So then I started to investigate, look online, and, and learn more about it. So how long did you hold uh, Litecoin for? Uh, I held it for probably a few days and then saw that it went up and I started building strategies and started to figure out how I could you know, use that more. And then um, Bitcoin made a jump to around three or $4,000. And that's when I you know, made a big decision to invest heavily into it. So you invested heavily into Bitcoin uh, there in 2017? I did. And then um, it jumped all the way to 20K after that. So it was a great decision to invest at that time. Did you sell any of it or all of it? I did. Yeah. I I started selling pieces and reinvesting in different places. Okay. uh, Reinvesting in different coins. So yeah, it was a great experience, learning experience. I think it's interesting. Your first first trading interaction was in the crypto world. Where, you know, like a lot of, I think you get, you know, in some of the older generation, they bought, you know, one share of Coca-Cola back in the day or something. Oh, like, yeah. No, I bought some Litecoin, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really great. Uh, I also um, bought some Facebook and some Netflix, just some random stuff. So I went to a seminar, like a Tony Robbins seminar, and they had some trading place. And um, I learned about, you know, I took a class on options and I uh, learned some of that, but I uh, didn't really get into it back then. So what really, what, what got you into it more? Cause I know you're now you want to make this your full-time gig. You want to leave the day job. I do. What? So my goal is to, uh, to trade full-time in the morning at the opening bell. And uh, what got me is uh, me and a friend, we were just looking at different courses and mentors uh, we found one and uh, I bought the course. Um, I'm in the software. Uh, we use, you know, trade ideas and for the software to find for the scanners. And um, we, we found a really good way of scalping. So uh, that's what I'm doing now. I'm practicing in a simulator. And, um, you know, although I'm a beginner, I just started, uh, I started out with real money. Um, I made, I made some money and I lost a lot more. So the the simulator is where it's at really. And I'm just learning so much in there. So, all right, you started off with real money. Um, how did you said you made some and then lost some? Can you give us some details? What happened with that? Yeah. So when I first started, I downloaded this guy's thing called stocks to trade and that thing had an Oracle, which basically told you like exactly when to buy. And then you just sold at whenever you felt like it. And the problem with that was um, the opening bell rang, the Oracle would give you all these stocks and then it would tell you like at a certain time when to buy. And I would just buy blindly buy. And um, the hope was that, you know, it would just go up and I would sell it. And then um, the first time, you know, I made like $5,000, which was like, unbelievable yeah and, that's awesome and, yeah and then you know, the next day i lost you know one to two thousand and then i lost another thousand the next day i was like this isn't working and um i can't just like blindly follow this like system anymore 
So on stocks to trade, I'm I'm vaguely familiar with it. I tried yeah. it. I did the demo. Yeah. Probably over a year ago. And I don't I, I had bug problems. It just seemed to not really work right for me. I was having, I don't know, it, it just wasn't working right. So I didn't get into it that much. But you said this Oracle. I've heard about the Oracle. I think I've mentioned I think I've heard uh Tim Bowen. Yep. I believe is the kind of lead guy. I've I've yeah. seen him speak at conferences before, and he was he was yeah. really excited about this. So I guess how's the Oracle work? Does it give you stops, or just tell you here's a price to buy it, or does it just give you a ticker to buy? Yeah. So I I would say um, they've made a lot of improvements, and uh, basically the Oracle just gives you uh, exactly what stocks are gapping. So it's not really like it's not like an Oracle. It's just giving you gappers. So, okay, so it's a gapper scanner, which exactly. Great Ideas has. They call it, yeah, which is like the Oracle, which is, and then they have, you know, some algorithms, they give you profit targets, and they tell you like when a good place to get in it, which are probably like little breakout points anyway, right? Like pre-market pivots, you know, maybe like pre-market highs, you know, any uh, breakout point. So uh, yeah, that Oracle, um, I just don't like the idea of, they just didn't really teach very well, like how to use the software. The software is powerful, but they just don't teach. They're like, here's how to use it, but then go do your thing, you know? Well, and we've, in Trade Ideas, we actually had uh, Michael Noss from Trade Ideas on, really smart guy. He does a lot of uh, algorithm tr algorithmic trading with using the Trade Ideas software. One of the yep. things that I've noticed about Trade Ideas is they're almost constantly, um, and I, I wasn't even trying to turn okay. this into an advertisement for Trade Ideas, oh, but I know yeah, that no. they always have, webinars and whatnot. Barry's he's, he's live on the mic. He's talking every morning. He goes and gives these webinars at the end of the day. Are you following him on those things? Uh, no, not anymore. So I picked up warriortrading.com um, and this guy, he, now not to like go advertise him or anything, but like he goes live every single day and then shows you live trades. And I feel like that's been the most helpful because I see exactly what's going on. And no one that I know is, well, I mean, People do that, but um, he's got, you know, 4 million verified profits, you know, in 2020, which is really amazing. So seeing someone successful trading live has really helped. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I've seen the ads for Warrior Trading. I've never actually explored them at all. Uh, for the record, though, Michael Johnson with Trading for Keeps here shares his screen every single morning. Uh, you can find those links at tradingforkeeps.com. Given I do not have any millions of verified trades, um, I'm having a profitable year, um, but I'm certainly on my journey, certainly at the beginning. But one, one of the things that, you know, we do, even this podcast, we're just trying to put some resources out there for people that are getting started. You know, one of the, you know, I trade very select, just like two setups. I have two setups I trade. When they don't show up, I don't trade. And that's kind of, you know, that's it. And, you know, Warrior Trading, he probably has a lot of setups because he's been trading for for a while yeah. there. And I don't mind sharing the the secrets because they're everyone adapts the the strategy it makes it their own and then uses that strategy right so now it's my strategy and uh the strategy is you know scalping and uh trading the you know first one minute candle to make a new high so if you're familiar with uh both flags uh that first one minute candle that that makes a new high is what i trade Okay. Yeah, no, that's a great strategy. I trade a little bit outside of that. I always wait. I wait for the, I took it from Bari at, at trade ideas. I always wait for the first 15 minutes to settle down. But I yeah. think, I think one of the things you, so you're taking bits and pieces from everywhere and trying to assemble something that, that works and, and, and makes sense to you. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I can't stress enough about the simulator and you know how important it is to trade on the simulator and, get that, uh, get that working right. So how, how are you, you're trading on a simulator now, not in real money. Is that correct? Yep. Uh, yep. how's it going? Uh, it's going actually pretty well. So I have some days that are bad where I'm like, Oh, like I just lost a thousand dollars, but some days are really, really good. So, um, I, I think risk management is very important. So, um, it's easy in the simulator to just throw in a bunch of money and see if you make more money, you know? So just like pretend to do really small amounts. And then when you go live, do the same amount. So it's like nothing has changed. So then you can, 
really go in with real money and be confident and and use that way. So I'm pretty close to going to real money, going live. My goal was to go live uh, January 1st of you know 2021. So Sean, can I interrupt and just ask a question? So I know a lot of people use simulators and then you know they switch to real money. And sometimes I think with a simulator, you know it's not real money. So you're maybe a little bit less emotionally attached to it or you're less likely to you know make impulsive decision making or you know, oh I I made five thousand I feel great or you know I lost a thousand I feel terrible, right? You know? So I guess when you adapt, when you switch over from simulation to real money, do you think are you do you think you'll be able to play it the same? Or are you going to treat it the same? Or do you think any emotion takes over? Or what are your a, thoughts there? That's a really great question, uh, Brian. So uh, since I was trading before with real money, I know the emotions, and I try to simulate those same emotions as well. And then also, like if I'm recording, then I'm like, oh man, like if I post all these losses, this is going to really suck. So like I I try to like put pressure from other sources for accountability. So I'd recommend people to record, you know, even, even if they don't put it on YouTube or anything, just for their personal, I use Loom. So if you check out loom.com and then just record your screencast uh, and just feel, I guess, simulate some pressure. So um, that way, when you make that switch, uh, you'll be able to feel like you're, you know, using real money and not have, you know, not mess up, right? Yeah, I think that's actually a really interesting point. Like the peer pressure or having people see what you did, you know, it's actually yeah. sometimes even more pressure than the money. It's like when Michael trades every day, he, he doesn't, it doesn't let him effective at all. He's like purely focused, you know, there's chat going on everywhere yeah. and they're all rooting for Michael. You know, it's like, there's a whole team behind him, but it's just, I don't know. I would feel enormous pressure if there's a bunch of people watching me, you know, like, oh, they're going to think I'm dumb if I do this. And they're going to think, oh, I'm a genius, right. you know, I, I don't know. I think I, I, I admire people that can like, you know, just it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to trade it the same way, no matter what, you know, that's, that's like a, a skill. I don't, I don't think I necessarily have, but I, I'm impressed by the people that do. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a good point. So uh, yeah, it's, it's very important to like trade in, in the simulator as you would real money. Cause there's one of, one of my favorite quotes about, uh, about the emotional attachment. It's actually from uh, Japanese candlestick charting techniques, which we'll link to in the show notes. And we're going to link to everything. We're going to uh, trade ideas uh, stocks to trade, even though we're knocking it, and definitely Warrior Trading and Loom.com. We'll link to all those things in the show notes. Don't feel like you have to go write these things down. Just check out the show notes later. Um, but one of the so in Japanese candlestick charting, uh, in kind of in the introduction, he says, as soon as you have money in the market, emotionalism is in the driver's seat, and rationale and objectivity are merely passengers. Wow. And I highlighted that and I have a sticky so I can always come back to it because like it hit, I was like, yes, that is exactly the point. Because as soon as you have any money at the line on the line, uh, you're right. It's just, there is a lot of emotion involved in it. And I, but I also, you know, and he wrote this in the eighties before anybody was streaming or recording anything, you know? So I do, I've noticed that too, as, as I am live streaming, I always feel like pressure to make sure that I say, do what I say and say what I do. Like if I buy a stock at two and I say, you know, okay, I'm going to put my stop at 190. Well, I'm going to feel like a real idiot if all of a sudden I sell it at 195 and I just told, you know, a hundred people or 50 people that I was, I was going to, my stop is 190. And I, you know, so I think that peer pressure thing is, is legitimate. Yeah, it really is. It really is. So, and Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's also interesting. There's a human element. Sometimes I even see Michael. It's like, you know, I went to put my stop here or I went to put my buy order here, you know, and it's like, oh, I mistyped it like slightly. Okay, now I need to get out or he needs to, he'll adjust on the fly, right? Because it's, it's just happening so fast, right? You know? It is, it is. Especially if you're trading those small stocks, uh, they're, they're very predictable, but they move fast. And, you know, one time you could be up and then another a flush. Yeah, and if, if you just missed the trade, you missed the trade. It's like, oh man, I see it, you know, but I'm two yeah. minutes late. So, you know, we got to like there's FOMO. So you can't put into FOMO, you know, you can't read into that. Yeah. And yeah, FOMO, the, the fear of missing out. Yeah. It's, I say, I feel like that's driving half of half of the, the bubble we're in right now is just, I know, right? This, this massive amount of uh, money just kind of flowing in. Everyone's so scared they're going to miss out on it. So. Well, I wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit also about something that is working pretty well for you already. Your crypto auto trading, you're a computer yep. programmer. Yep. And you managed to set up some auto trading on cryptocurrency. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, I can actually. So 
when I had discovered cryptocurrency, I started investigating strategies on Udemy.com. Um, and I found a guy who talked about the never losing strategy. And there's a couple ways of uh, using the never losing strategy. One of them I discovered is DCA, which is dollar cost averaging. And if you're not familiar with that, it's basically, you know, if the stock goes against you, you buy more and eventually you'll have enough money that it will come back up and you can sell when it, when you break even. So that's the dollar cost averaging strategy. Um, you know, it's, it's very risky. And the fact that if you're not confident in the stock, you know, it could go against you and never come back to where it was. Uh, but the idea is with Bitcoin, it's so volatile that um, it goes up and down back to where it was all the time. And um, so that's the dollar cost averaging strategy. The other strategy is, is the never losing strategy, which means you, let's say you go long and you have a profit target. And if it goes against you, then you go short, but double the amount. So that way it doesn't have to go as far. And if, and if that goes against you, you go long, you know, triple the amount until you can actually um, get out of your trade, break even or, or in profit. So that inspired me. And that's just kind of like a, there's like much more to the strategy, but that's just a little taste of what the strategy does. And if you think about the strategy, eventually, you know, what happens if you run out of capital and you can't, you know, cover yourself, then you know, you lose your whole account. So that's, isn't this like going to the blackjack table and you're like, okay, I'm down, you know, a dollar. I'm not going to bet $2 on the next hand. And then if I'm down $3, I'm going to bet $6 until you get like, eventually you might double your way out of your money. Right. Yep. Exactly. So that's the strategy. And with Bitcoin, it's so volatile that um, it's easy for that to happen to actually like make, you know, have it go the other way and then you'd be fine. Right. So, so I'm really curious that we've had several Bitcoin people come on and talk about the show and, I think some of them are, you know, wealthier individuals. They, you know, or they've got in early. But from from least, this is what has kind of stopped me from trading Bitcoin. And I mean, I regret not doing it. But <laughs> there's a really high transaction cost. Well, like you know, a lot of stocks have gone to zero dollar, you know, transaction costs. You know, no zero free commission. So if you're, I guess, high freak or you're trading frequently in crypto or Bitcoin, I mean, I guess, do you have to have large volumes of, you know, investment to be able to offset the trading commissions or the commissions on each? Uh, Bitcoin trade. I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, it depends on the broker that you have. Uh, I know Coinbase Pro is pretty expensive on the commissions, but um, technically, if um, if your strategy is working, I mean, commissions shouldn't be you know your focus. Um, it should be you know consistent profitability. So, but yeah, definitely um, look at the commissions and understand them because when you're trading so much, you know, those can add up. So I always build, build in the commissions and I have a big Excel and, I'm, and I just build in the commissions there. Oh, interesting. And, and set of curiosity, which platform are you using now or which, which is your preference? Coinbase. Coinbase, okay. Yeah, they're going public. So, I mean, you know, that's an interesting uh, company for sure. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're doing good. They're doing good. So they announced they were going public on, yeah, on the day that crypto or that, that Bitcoin broke 20,000, I believe. Yeah. Or the day after. <laughs> yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah, they they're they're an early leader, and I would say they have their security down the best. Um, I know the Kraken got um, infiltrated. You know, and some of these exchanges get infiltrated, so it's very important to choose a broker that uh, has a good uh, background history and you know a solid foundation. So um, you know, there's a lot of brokers out there, especially with crypto that aren't real too. So just advisory for anybody that's interested in crypto, choose a, a safe broker. So Sean, so out of curious, are you exclusively Bitcoin? Are you, I know you said Litecoin earlier. Are you, are you trading other altcoins or what's oh, your yeah, strategy? Um, I've got tons of, of strategies going and tons of bots going. So um, I've got, you know, a DCA bot. Um, I've got a Gordon bot, which is like a QFL. So like, there's lots of different strategies you can use. And I've got a bot that runs off of trading, uh, tradingview.com. So it gives you the signal to buy and it just buys. So yeah, there's lots of different strategies you can use and automate for profitability because of the volatility. 
I'm not, curious with, with these bots, like you're using for your personal use, but have anyone ever like, hey, I'll buy a bot from you or I'll, you know, is there a business in people selling these things? I'm just curious. Uh, yeah, there is. Yeah. So um, I haven't made, you know, a business out of it, but, um, you know, there is an opportunity there. And, you know, for those of you listening and they're curious, definitely contact me and, and we'll talk. So, so, so I'm curious, how much like time or labor does it take to create a bot like that? Uh, a lot. So when I first started, I took a whole week off of work and just worked on it and built it out in a week. Oh, wow. And um, definitely like, it's amazing to like actually code your own strategy and automate it. Cause that was the idea is, is to automate your own strategies. And that's where it became really fun. So you're like a software developer. So one week of your time, you take your annual salary, divide that by 52. That's like the, the amount of that, that's how much the bot should be worth. Right. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I'm a fast coder, so I built it, and I build, build. I've been building more features on top of it over the years, so okay. it, it's been, um, it's been a long, uh, it's been a, for the long haul. So you do tinker with it from time to time, or you know, update yeah, it, or yeah, mm-hmm. I do, and that's been that's been really fun. So you mentioned that you were a computer programmer. Um, does does somebody need to be a, pro- a computer programmer to develop their own auto trading strategy? Uh, no, actually. So uh, if, you know, there are companies out there online that have bots already set up. So um, there's many, many services out there that you can just sign up. As long as you understand the strategy, you can trade it. You know, obviously, let's say Bitcoin does go bearish. You have to like recognize that in the market and be like, okay, I'm going to stop trading. I'm going to change my bot or I'm going to stop the bot, right? Like, for example, Bitcoin... I think last year it went all the way down to 3000. So it was bearish for a long time. And that's when you have to realize that you have to say, okay, I'm going to stop the bot and I'm going to wait for the market to correct itself. So there, you still have to be aware, right? Of, of the market when you're trading the bots. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think even Michael, Michael Noss from trade ideas who builds his own custom bots and algorithms he's not a programmer, but he's like, well, I just, I guess trade ideas has a lot of the tools he needs. And that's one of the things he said, he goes, you have to know when to turn them on and when to turn them off. It doesn't allow you to just step away from the screen entirely. So that's really interesting that, you know, we've got that parallel there. Um, Side note, I want to plug episode seven. If you're looking for more, uh, more, or if you're trading Coinbase, if you're looking for something different than Coinbase, um, Stefan or Steven, Steven, I'm sorry, not Stefan. Steven had a lot of great recommendations for the, the, uh, the coin and uh, the, I guess the crypto exchange that he uses. So definitely check out episode seven. Once again, we'll link to all that in the show notes. Brian, I cut you off. Did you, did you want to jump in there? I'm just going to, I mean, maybe this is my own curiosity here, but so when you have the bot, like, so you, it's a program that you run. So like, does it log into your account then? Or is it like, you know, you give it some access or some permissions and then it like, like, it, how does it like, does it just click buttons or does it like it interfaces with coin? Like does Coinbase make it easy for bots to run on it? Like, I'm they just kind of curious. They yeah, do. The process. Yeah, great question. Yeah, Coinbase has an API and they've got API documentation. So Wait, I'm sorry, what is that? Oh yeah, good question. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like assuming everybody knows this technical knowledge. So an API key is um, a programming key that you can use in your own applications. And uh, it's basically access to their uh, programming interfaces. So they have documentation of all these, uh, all these system calls that you can call from your own program, as long as you have the authorization. So that's, you know, an API is an application programming interface. So uh, that is where, you know, as long as you have the keys or the authorization tokens, you can connect to their system and do the data. So I'm not doing like any special like clicking of anywhere or like automation that way. They just allow you to have the full access to their system. So basically, I'm trying to make sure I understand this correctly. And for our our listeners as well, that when you, they essentially give you the, the, the equivalent of the buy button, right? Exactly. And you have that, and then you can actually put that into your program. So your program then says, okay, when X, Y, and Z happen, I do the buy button. And instead of the buy, instead of actually going and clicking it, it accesses that piece of code that's equivalent to clicking it, right? Am I in, am I right. in the right ballpark? That's exactly right. 
Okay. So, so I'm curious, is your bot, is it getting fed information from like another source? Is Coinbase giving you like the live feed of like what Bitcoin is or, or what other yeah, coins uh, are? They have, um, they, they give you the real time data. Okay. So Jeez. you can know like when, you know, you have the last mark price, and you, you know, when things are happening. Oh, Actually, that's, uh, uh, that I'm curious now myself on that because there's not one set market price. Crypto is not regulated in the same way as a stock market is where there's one, you know, there might be a bunch of exchanges, but they're all reporting it to the same spot. We have one single price at a time. We, you know, we have the bid, we have the ask, we have the last. We yeah. know those prices, but I've noticed that in Bitcoin, those prices aren't always as uh, transparent. I mean, you can get them off the blockchain, but then if Coinbase is executing orders within its own system, those might not hit the blockchain. How do you know that your data is good or relevant, or do you just have to factor that into your strategy? Yeah, so um, that data it comes from the broker. So like looking from the perspective of everything, um, each broker is going to have a different price for Bitcoin. And this is where the concept of arbitrage comes in, where let's say Coinbase has it at one price and then the Kraken has it at another. Then some people will actually go in and buy it lower on Coinbase and transfer it over to Kraken and sell it higher. But because it changes so quickly, the price, in order for that to happen, is the chance of it is low. So uh, going back on... You know, it's really trusting your broker and, and getting that price and it will all be relative to that broker. So um, you don't, won't expect any, you know, uh, slippage or problems with getting the last price from them. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. So there's, there's enough arbitrage going on that essentially keeps everybody honest, right? Keeps everybody honest. Yep. Okay. Arbitrage. That's such a fascinating thing. I'm reading uh, Flash Boys and how they dug that 3,000 or maybe 2,000, I can't remember how long, they dug a tunnel basically from New York to uh, to Chicago to arbitrage the price differences. And these guys just put in this really super fast fiber because he realized, one guy realized that uh, the you know there was no direct line. He goes, well, what if I just build a direct line? I can cut off, you know, four milliseconds or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, and then he managed to sell that for like $300 billion or something. I, I'm making up numbers, wow. but, you know, like, yeah, it was like it was a ridiculous amount of money. The guy he was profitable at it, so yeah, arbitrage very real, uh, very real strategy. And it, and it, yeah, it does it kind of helps keep keep the markets kind of honest with each other essentially. So well, I'm glad to know that there is enough arbitrage going on between them. There is and essentially yeah, that would make it. You know, that's just the free market working. It is yeah, and you know, there's opportunity there if you want to get into arbitrage, but that's not really where my specialty is, and I don't have that expertise. So I did want to talk, you mentioned the never losing strategy. I have read about this. I have heard of uh, a lot of uh, failure and heartbreak. Anytime somebody says, I never take a loss, I said, I hope I can talk to you in two years. And right. never, they never stick around. Um, even, I believe it was in Market Wizards, there was a guy that uh, the, uh, Jack Schwager had interviewed and he was like, oh, you know, this guy, and he, he just did really well during a bull market. And they go, well, how, how did you manage this strategy so well? And he goes, well, I just don't ever take a loss. He goes, I just keep doubling down and doubling down and doubling down. And so Jack was like, well, you know, I, I've never heard of that working long term, but that, that's, you know, let's, can we touch base in six months or a year? And he touched base in, in, a, couple of, uh, in a couple of months. And he said, well, how's it going? He goes, you know, at the time, I think he was up a hundred thousand and he goes, well, how's it going now? And he goes, well, I'm down 10,000. He's like, what do you need? You know, so he'd lost a hundred, but he was actually in debt now. And he goes, well, I had a strategy and it continued to dip and continued to dip. And he goes, so I kept doubling down and doubling down. Lost his whole account. And lost his whole account. But he also realized that there was one point he goes, oh, if I can get it to move five points up, I just need, and I can, I'll just take out a loan and get an extra couple grand in this. And that way I'll have enough. And then all I needed to do is go up five points and I can sell out break even. Well, it, he got yeah. the loan yeah. and then it never came back five points. And he ended up in the hole 10 grand being up a hundred thousand. Do you yeah. have any ultimate stop loss where you're just like, okay, I'm wrong on this one. I need to cut my losses. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, if it goes against me, you know, 
I think I had mine at seven times. I would just cut the loss. My, you know, I'd have to win a lot. So as soon as I win a lot and then I buffer in a loss and then I keep winning. Right. So yeah, you've got those. Um, I expect to lose sometime. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. Every trader I've studied, read a book on, they've always known how yeah. to cut their losses. So I was, yeah, no, it's a good point. Um, yeah. So I did a lot of study, you know, I tried the never losing strategy with just like, for example, one time, two times, three times, you know, and it seemed to me that there's like a happy medium where, you know, um, you just eventually you just have to cut it. Makes sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. Cause I mean, I think that's one of the things is, especially as a trader, you know, we can't come in with, with too much. I, and that's one of the things like I've noticed recently people have been giving me, cause everyone's a trader now, everyone knows everything. And I've always been public about my trades. Um, I, I share them on Twitter and somebody was giving me a hard time just the other day. They're like, Oh, you sold two cents below where you bought. Like why well, would never place a stop two cents below where I bought. And I'm like, yeah, well, the chart said I had a stop two cents below. And if I was, you know, that, that was just it. So this is kind yeah. of one of those things that I, I have a strategy. I know where my stops are. And I also, and, but that's the thing is like, I'm always willing to be wrong on any trade yeah. at any time. I'm always like, I usually always think I'm wrong too, for some reason, but I've, I have enough trades working in my favor right now. But it's, <laughs> that's it's great. Going, but yeah, but that, that's yeah, one of the I, things is always being willing to be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I follow the mentality of a breakout or bailout. So even if it is two cents below, yeah, I'll, if I don't think the trade is working, I'll just cut it. Uh, Cause I expect instant resolution on the trades. That makes a lot of sense. I like that too. And that's kind of where I'm at too. It's just, if it, I know exactly what I expect it to do, if it does anything slightly different than that, then I say my theory has been invalidated, I'm out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's really important if you're trying to trade the breakout strategy. Yes, absolutely. So, all right, you did mention that you were on the West Coast and you're trading, I know we talked a little bit, a lot about uh, crypto, but you are trading stocks and that's what you're trading in the simulator right now, right? Correct. West Coast, what time is the market open out there? So 6.30 a.m. 6.30 a.m. Yeah. I spent five years in the Marines. That doesn't sound early to me, but apparently it's very Absolutely. early to a lot of people. <laughs> how, how has that affected your trading? How is it? I mean, because I always like to get up and be prepared. I don't like to, I don't want to roll out of bed and, and sit trading. at my desk, you know? Yeah. yeah I, so what has really helped me um, if I had a really bad night and I don't sleep well, I just don't trade. Uh, Cause I know that uh, I'm not gonna be thinking clearly and I'm gonna be groggy. So, but if I at least get, you know, seven hours of sleep then I'm good and then I can start trading. Uh, and it's only, you know, Monday through Friday. So, you know, the weekends I can sleep in and, but it's a sacrifice, you know, but as soon, you know, now that we're in this pandemic and the COVID and everything, uh, going to bed early has been a lot easier cause there's a lot less to do. And it's really been a great hobby to work on myself. And, you know, if you really want it, you'll sacrifice to get it. And I feel like if you have that mentality of desire and you really want something very badly enough that you'll prioritize it enough that it, to make it a priority. And you do have a day job. What time are you going into your day job? So, you uh, so at 9 a.m., 9 a.m. So, yeah, I've got plenty of time. And I also like to do, you know, some yoga in the morning after I trade. I only trade for an hour. So, and that's enough to make plenty of money at, from the opening bell. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. I usually am tuning out. I might keep a position. If I have a winning position on or if a stop just hasn't been hit, I'll let it sit past 1030 uh, East Coast time here. But, yeah, yeah I'm kind of the same way. I, I'm trying to be away from the screen. That way, I because I'd rather try to be laser focused for one hour than try to you know, pick up everything for the, uh, for the, for the whole day. Cause the best moves happen at the open anyways. They do. They do the gap and go strategy, which is a really amazing strategy if you can time it right. And, um, definitely, um, I don't set in any, uh, buy limit orders. Um, I always buy the breakouts from the level two data. So that's just really important to understand level two and know that, you know, that data is available to you to understand uh, how strong the momentum is in the stock. Also, the volume indicators 
um, understanding, you know, ascending and descending volume. It's very easy to just look at that, look at it and say, hey, it's, it's losing momentum or losing volume. That sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And so you're, and you are long-term here. Your, your goal is to leave your day job. Exactly. Yeah. I, I believe there's enough opportunity here to make millions of dollars a year. And instead of, you know, a hundred, 200 K a year, right. From a day job. Um, yeah. I, there's, I mean, you know, you've got the wall street firms raking billions of dollars a year. There's certainly, there's certainly money to be made in the market. Um, is, I, I can 100% agree with that. So what, what, uh, moving forward, you said you want to see a couple of months of consistent profitability in the simulator. And then you want to move into back into, uh, uh, the real money trading. How, how scalable is your strategy? Uh, I believe it's very scalable. So I, and it can make millions of dollars a year and it really depends on also like the day you have to measure, you know, how hard are you going to go that day? Because there's some days that just do not open up and that are slow. And then there's some days that are like buck wild. Like this week we had almost 10 halts every single day. Just go, just things going, meaning a halt is uh, something that halts because of volatility. It's going super fast. If it raises up 10%, you know, in less than uh, 10 minutes, it will just halt for five to 10 minutes. And that's when things get really interesting. Yeah, I always, the halts, usually it's interesting that you trade the halts. Usually when something starts getting halted, I go, okay, this is actually a little too choppy for me. A little too yeah. volatile. So I like, well, I like that you trade the halts. Yeah, yeah, it's important to be very careful around them because, you know, may, maybe trade into a first halt, but after that, you know, it could open up lower and go against you. So you have to be very careful. So do you buy after the halt sometimes or what, what's your strategy around the halt? Uh, so I, if I notice something halting, um, I like to sometimes buy dips if they go lower after the halt, after the first halt, or um, definitely like if you're watching a stock and it goes into a halt, um, you can buy into the halt, which is um, also uh, can be risky, but very profitable. Um, but it's usually good to um, predict the halts and then sell once you get to the halt level, but leave some in there. Um, that's the most uh, desirable way of approaching a halt. So if you can, um, and a lot of times if they're false halts, um, you can just sell all your position and then um, sometimes it'll halt again. So you just have to, not all that's from the level two data. So you want to be watching the level two data and making sure that the halts, um, either you're selling into the halts or buying. So you said it's a false halt. What, what's considered a false halt? So if you notice a lot of buyers on the bid and that you just see shares accumulating on the bid, you know, 100,000, you know, 200,000, whatever. And um, that's, that's the indication that's going to go into a halt. And sometimes if it's a false halt, then, you know, all those shares on the bid get, get bought up uh, and get sold. And then it can drop down and, and flush against you really hard. So you have to be very careful with the false halts. And then gotcha. if you notice that the shares aren't accumulating, then yeah, it's time to get out and then, you know, buy a dip or something. So it sounds like you've got, you're really watching this. You're watching the level two a lot. You know, I use the level two. It's an indicator, but it's not, you know, by no, it sounds like you're really reading the tape. You're very much into it moment by moment, watching these stocks move. How much of your strategy is discretionary versus, you know, rules-based? I would say it's very rules-based and the fact that, I always buy the first one minute candle to make a new high or the first five minute candle to make a new high and a bull flag. So if I don't see that, I usually just don't buy. And um, I also buy bounces off VWAP or uh, 20 EMA or nine EMA. So those are also good levels of support. And EMA, uh, give us that. So yeah, that's, you know, it's a moving average. It's an exponential moving average. Um, a moving average, a simple moving average, will, um, won't will hug the price as much as an exponential moving average. 
So those exponential moving averages are hugging the price closer. And um, I believe you want to trade on indicators that other traders are looking at because that's what, the, if you're trading momentum, you want to follow the momentum of the market. So it's really important to recognize those indicators. And, you know, it's important to study them and know what they mean. Yeah. And so you got a simple EMA and, or I'm sorry, a simple moving average and an right. exponential moving average. And just for the listeners out there who aren't, aren't familiar with that, you know, a moving average is basically if I say I have a 15, 15 minute or 15 candle moving average, I would take the past 15 minutes, add up all the average, you know, add up the closing price or the opening price, whatever I designate, typically the closing price. You add all those up and you, you divide it by 15. And that's a simple moving average. Uh, for your exponential moving averages, they give more weight to the more recent data. And so they just, you know, instead of having just a simple 15, they might end up, I don't know exactly how they do it, but they might end up with three or four times as many where they're going, all right, the, you know, the last candle to close gets, we're going to add that one in five times. The one before that, we're going to add in four times, one before that, three times, and then average it all out that way. And that just gives more weight to the most recent candles. I just... I like to make sure we get all those definitions out there. We always want to make sure this is very, uh, the podcast is very accessible to anybody coming into the market. Yeah. So good explanation. Thank you. <laughs> um, so you're watching the EMAs and what, which EMAs are you watching again? Can you tell me the, the nine EMA and the 20 EMA, the nine and the 20. And those are on the one minute candles, right? Yeah. So I have in my screen, I have a five minute, a, a one minute and then a 10 second and then a one day all for that same stock on the right of my screen. So all those have meaning. And the one day, well, let's start with the one day. I draw lines for resistance on the one day. So I see if the stock has the opportunity to uh, get to those resistance points. So those are opportunities to sell. Um, if I feel like there's a good breakout and there's resistance on the daily, then I say, hey, this stock has the potential to move you know, one to $2. The five minutes and the one minute are good indicators of when to buy. And as soon as, uh, let's say something's pulling back, and as soon as a candle makes a new high, that's where I get in uh, on a bull flag. So lots of people like to buy the bull flag, but that's at the top. So you run the risk of a double top. Uh, so if you do buy the first one minute candle to make a new high, then uh, you're getting in a little early, but you're given the opportunity to make some more profit. Where do you where do you normally set your stops at on these bull flags? At the bottom of the flag or the bottom yeah, of the bull? That's a good point. So you can set your stop either at you know the bottom of the flag or just arbitrary fifteen cents. Okay. No, 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 that makes that makes sense. It's interesting how because I think that was one of the things that guy was giving me uh, grief, and I'm sorry if you're listening to this podcast about giving me grief about setting a stop two cents away. I was, you know, because I don't necessarily pay attention to where, what, what my entry was. I try to completely ignore my entry. I try to just look at the chart and see what's the chart telling me. And I think that was one where it just happened to be. I'm always excited when I get to move my stop up. I'm like, oh, my risk is lowered. Thank you. <laughs> That's great. Like, it's really great to like take half the profit yeah. and then put a stop at break even. I've got hotkeys for all of those. So in like one second, I can take half the profit on the ask. And then I can put a stop loss uh, break even in literally a second. Which and so, is, yeah, so you're trading these, you know, very fast moving right at the open and um, hotkeys. You know, I don't use a lot of hotkeys. I have a couple programmed in case when I have a 30, you know, if I have a 30 stock watch list and I know I need to be moving through it pretty quickly, I have them ready, but I usually, I usually end up screwing something up on them. Um, <laughs> how do you, uh, how do you like hotkeys, especially? the timeframes you're working, you have, do you have to use hotkeys? Uh, so yeah, that's a good point. So if you're trading on a slower time scale, uh, then you don't have to use hotkeys, but if you're like a quick thinker and you know, I play a lot of video games, so I feel like my hand eye coordination is very in tune. Then the hotkeys become very essential for uh, making sure you take profit and avoiding loss. So, so Sean, just wanna... quick, quick tangent, quick question. So what video games do you play? Because I've noticed actually a lot of other traders seem to be ex-video game players or current video game players. Yeah. So I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, so I 
I like to play a lot on, um, I have a Unity account, so, uh, oh, a Steam account. So I like to play a lot of like different scenes. I'm on the Humble Bundle. So like, I like to play a lot of indie games on Steam. So um, there was a new one that came out that was called um, Project you know, Warlock, which is like Doom, but like you have like a staff so you can like, you know, cast spells. So like imagine like Doom and like casting spells. So does it have the indie kind of graphics with it too? Or uh, is it like- It's like playing Doom, like revamped. Um, if you ever played Doom as a kid or something. Yeah, yeah. Like DOS, and then just like casting spells everywhere, killing monsters. That's uh, a really fun game. So is that, is that like kind of your favorite genre is like that first person shooter? Do you like do a lot of different yeah, things? Um, I also played, you know, Starcraft for a little bit. So, so we had a whole other mm-hmm. podcast where there's an, an ex Starcraft player who, <laughs> who also did that. I actually played a lot of Starcraft too. So that's when, we, when people say hotkeys and like being quick with actions, you know, I'm like, that's really what my brain goes to. I, I think that was yeah. Michael Noss with trade ideas, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah, it's, if you have that hand-eye coordination, it can really help with this strategy. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think having hand-eye coordination, having that, but also like, I think there are other lessons in StarCraft, like about just general strategies and ups and downs that are also kind of life, like life applicable as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, that actually playing video games can help you make money. So <laughs> so you hear that kids out there, you know, <laughs> you're all right. You, you can take that to your parents when they're like, oh, you're, you're wasting your time. Like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm basically in college right now. Uh, I'm yeah, improving exactly. my hand-eye coordination and improving my strategy skills here, guys. <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's, that's my reason for playing video games, you know, become a better trader. <laughs> that's great. I like that. Well, I, I think we've had a lot of things here, just, you know, dealing with West Coast time frame. You trade crypto, you know, very, you know, the fact that you've programmed your own robots to work for you. I think that's awesome. Um, you know, you recognize when something wasn't working, you drop back to simulated trading to get back into re- so you can transition back into real money. You know, I think a lot of a lot of our YOLOs and FOMOs out there, they want to they just want to they want to come in hot and heavy, but they don't they don't necessarily understand what they're getting into. Yeah, and I did that, and it doesn't work. And trust me, use the simulator. Just if you learn just one thing from this, and this is what I want to highlight, use the simulator and track your trades. Um, I use you know, TradingView, um, so you can put that in the link, but it's a very, very nice way to see your profitability. Uh, use the simulator for at least you know one to two months, um, and then go into real money. And I had a friend that told me he was, um, he never wanted to use the simulator because he said it, emotionally it wasn't the same. But, you know, please, please use that simulator and prove yourself first. I just can't stress that enough. Yeah, I'll agree with that. It's not, emotionally, it's, it's not the same. I can 100%, but it doesn't mean that you, there isn't still things to be gained and, and realized there. I think you need, if you don't have a solid strategy in the simulator, and, you know, your strategy is not going to work in real money either. So I think it really helps you get the fundamentals and understand what really works. And then afterwards, yeah, you're going to have to go in. You're going to have to deal with the emotions. And uh, but that's where, like you just said, you have to you track your trades. You know, I think honestly, I think you have to be very, very honest with yourself as a trader. If you're going to make it in the long run, you have to you have to face those losses. You have to look at them and say, why did this why did this loss happen? And sometimes it's because your stop got hit, you followed your plan and oh well. And other times you made you really made a really bad decision, but you need to recognize those decisions that you made poorly and uh, and learn from them to be able to do better the next time. So. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think it definitely would, it seems like it definitely improve your odds of success because the more experience you have, you know, the more learning moments you have that kind of, you know, you can use that to learn from, you know, but if you just go in blind, I mean, I mean, we're not saying don't, I mean, we're not stopping people from doing whatever they want. You can gamble your money away. We don't care. But like, I think you would improve your odds of success if you did a little bit of this beforehand, doing a little bit of research certainly doesn't hurt. So. Well, cool. Well, Sean, uh, where would people find you if they want to find you? I think you mentioned Loom earlier. So you have oh, a yeah, there. So we can. YouTube is, so Loom is just a software to help you uh, screencast your own trades. Okay. I highly recommend you recording every single one on there. That's just a tool, but you can find me on YouTube, Sean Thomas. And if you'd like to reach out uh, to my email, it's uh, Sean, S-E-A-N dot Allen, A-L-A-N dot Thomas at gmail.com. 
um, I'd, I would be happy to help you and walk you through uh, to get started as a friend. Okay, great. Well, we'll, we'll drop your email and a link to your YouTube channel in the, uh, in the show notes. So we'll have uh, full access to that. And then uh, with a whole host of links, but we'll put his email right up top by his name. So it's super easy to find. Great. Don't go anywhere. We have one last segment we want to do. Brian has the question of the day. Now, Brian brings us in. I haven't heard it. You haven't heard it. We're going to be blindsided by it. We have to respond. Okay, Take so this away, is going to be a, more of a, a segment of the day. We kind of did a similar version of this, pa- of the, of this in the past, but you know, Reddit is a very popular source for people to get information, to have fun, to discuss different things. And so I'm pulling up the Reddit cryptocurrency um, subreddit, and I'm going to maybe highlight some of the, the most popular posts of the last year. And I will kind of read it, describe what it is. I'll give you the top comment, and I will get your reaction to that post. Okay, so this is I'm going to get a like, curated list here. So um, some of them are a little bit repetitive or some of them actually don't even do with deal with cryptocurrency but to stay on topic i will give you give you a post and then get your reaction and we'll do this for a few of them so um so starting off one of the top posts of the year this is from about nine months ago that the, the headline is close to one-third of the entire crypto market has been wiped off in the past 24 hours and then it shows a chart chart of all the different cryptocurrencies kind of in that uh, heat map and shows bitcoin trading at five thousand eight hundred eighty eight dollars and 21 cents down 24.76 percent ethereum down 31.9%, XRP down 27.9%, Litecoin down 29.3%. So it shows all these different cryptocurrencies down a bunch. There's a few green dots, but they're kind of much smaller cryptos. And then uh, the top comment was, had I known this would have happened, I'd at least have put on some lipstick. So uh, I guess your thoughts on this this particular comment thread, this this, this one. Yeah, so... um... You know, there was a time where Bitcoin was down a lot, and uh, that's pretty funny. That, that you know, recovering from that would be very difficult. But you know, people saw intrinsic value and hopped back on the train. I'm glad they did. I mean, yeah, you can you can knock it all you want, but hindsight's 2020. You just said Bitcoin was at 5,800 at the time, and yeah. it's currently trading near 50, you know, it just traded over 24,000. So it, it's a buying opportunity. If you're a crypto, if you're a crypto bull and you wanted to be in on it, that was an opportunity to get in on it. All right. That's my take. <laughs> yeah, I think it was interesting. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of panic in the marketplaces. And it was interesting. I thought, you know, a lot of people were saying that crypto is kind of decoupled from the general stock market or the general economy. And I guess that was at the same time, all the, the rest of the stock market was kind of crashing too. So I, I thought that was just an interesting, you know, how that actually ended up, you know, following the stock market and then also following the stock market's recovery. I don't know. That's so that's that's been fascinating this year that Bitcoin, even gold, Bitcoin and gold have almost moved with the S and P five hundred. Where years prior they were, yeah, they 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 seem to have no correlation. But right now it seems like they both are actually, you know, you can see it: gold, Bitcoin, and S and P five hundred all make new highs on the same day. Just yeah, I'm sure she saw a heat map of the stock market on that same day. I'm sure it'd been something similar. So, yes, lots of lipstick to go around for many people. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Next, next one. This is a, a tweet. Um, so I'll read the tweet. Uh, it's from this person called three eyed Raven. This is on the, on the Reddit post. It says, uh, dear at Bill Gates, if you can blame cryptocurrency on deaths resulting from the purchase of fentanyl on the dark web, can we blame your windows computer for facilitating the transaction signed people who aren't idiots. And then it says uh, top comment. Also, we should blame his Microsoft office suite for facilitating comic sans diffusion. So what do you, what do you think of that comment, that tweet? To Bill Gates, I I don't know. You, I, I see. I know the point they're trying to make, where it's you know, crypto has been accused of uh, this money laundering thing. But I always say, you know, how much how much cash is used to buy drugs in the in in the world right now? Right, the U.S. dollar is one of the is actually the, still the preferred currency of illegal transactions around the world. So I would you know, I think there's more uh, there's more illegal drugs or il- more illegal transactions being conducted with the U.S. dollar than anything else. Yeah, a lot of people, they are mad at the government and use Bitcoin as a way to retaliate. But I mean, you make money at a job, you get paid in U.S. dollars. Um, crypto, I view as, as a way to hedge, you know, the U.S. dollar. And just like gold or any other thing, there's intrinsic value in those assets. So uh, I still believe that there's that intrinsic value to be had. 
Yeah, so I think in law in lawyer speak, you know, we 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 talk about causation. There's always a chain of causation that leads to a, a final event, right? So it's like you know, you always hear the people like you know, guns don't kill people, people kill people, right? You know, but there's like you know, there's a whole chain that leads to that final outcome. So cryptocurrency, Microsoft Office, they all sometimes can be in a chain of events for good or ill. But I think you know, blaming it on the cryptocurrency, maybe I I, I don't get that. I think it's an attenuated argument. So definitely, I, I got to plug here though. Check out episode twenty-three. We have, we interviewed a gold dealer, the CEO, one of the biggest gold dealers in the world. He owns Bitcoin. Side note. All right, so we're now moving on to another tweet. This guy is a little bit more crazy. It's uh, John McAfee, and he says, "When I predicted Bitcoin, oh, this is from two months ago. When I predicted Bitcoin at five hundred K by the end of twenty twenty, it used a model that predicted five thousand at the end of twenty seventeen." BTC has accelerated much faster than my model assumptions. I now predict Bitcoin at $1 million by the end of 2020. I will still eat my dick if wrong. And then the top comment says, he later changed it to, I'll delegate the eating to someone else. So what do you, what do you think of this uh, John McAfee tweet? John McAfee, he's a character, right? He makes some outrageous things. Uh, is he still wanted for murder? Last I heard, he was holding up in Belize, wanted for murder somewhere. I got I don't know. He, he's still there's still a few days left in the year. He could get to his million, you know. He could. Yes. And that and then that other person doesn't have to eat the dicks, but we'll see. <laughs> Sean, you got any thoughts there? Uh, yeah, um, lots of excitement going around Bitcoin. I that I think he's definitely trying to get some attention on the on the plate. Yeah, a little, a little any little... publicity is good publicity, right? All yeah. right. I, here, here's, here's, I got only just a few more, so uh, bear with me here. So here's another one. Um, this is from five months ago. It says, there's this, it's a tweet kind of response tweet. So the person asks, I still don't get Bitcoin. And then this person replies to this person. Imagine if keeping your car idling 24 seven produced solved Sudokus that you could trade for heroin. And uh, what do you think of that? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I could... It's uh, it's a very simplified analogy. <laughs> I think people love that like dopamine um, sense that they get. Like when you like win a trade, that can be addicting. So you got to be careful, like especially when you lose a trade, the opposite. But yeah, I mean, trading could be like drugs. Like as yeah, soon I as you start winning, like you just get that feeling. You're like, I'm feeling good, you know. You want to party? That's uh, it can you, be a different thing. Like but you can, all right, you can use Bitcoin to buy fentanyl, weed, whatever drugs. You can buy drugs with Bitcoin. Hundred percent, you can. You can also buy gold with uh, with Bitcoin. Uh, you can you can buy Starbucks with Bitcoin at certain locations. So guess what you can do with the U.S. dollar? You can buy drugs. You can buy gold. You can buy star. I mean, it's just. I, just, I, I think of the tweet as more of a, a tongue-in-cheek, you know, it has yeah. this stereotype, you know, it has this connotation, you know, if you want to j explain to the general populace and get a, get a laugh, I think that's what maybe these people are going for. But I, I think it seems like, again, maybe the, the demographic that, it, that Bitcoin appeals to maybe be these young people or these young guys that are, you know, trading, you know, I don't know, maybe it, if it eventually gets more widespread, maybe we'll have, uh, you know, the more, I guess, the general audience <laughs> description. My two cents. <laughs> I mean, what is it? U.S. dollar, like twenty percent of the U.S. dollars ever created were created in twenty in twenty twenty. Yeah, I've, so, I've, I mean, I've and I, you know, I always get the comments, um, you know, even within my my own, you know, kind of like social group that I don't, you know, doesn't exist anymore because I don't have a social group because COVID. But, but that I used to have was, oh yeah, Bitcoin, funny money. Like, the, you know, the U.S. dollar is kind of uh, funny money. There's this, 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 these these people that sit in a room and they decide that we're just going to print more of it whenever we want to print more of it. What are we going to buy with it? Well, we're going to buy stocks and bonds with it, you know, to, to keep, to drive the market up. <laughs> as, as a buyer of stocks and bonds, I'm, I'm okay with that, but uh, <laughs> I can see, I can yeah, see no, the I'm issues with it. Shouldn't. I'm just saying there's, you can't print as much Bitcoin as you want. That's true. There's a right. limited supply and that's where I feel like the intrinsic value is. People are like, oh, I'm going to miss out. There's only a limited supply. Alrighty. Okay. Moving on. So again, this is one, again, Maybe you shouldn't believe everything you read on the internet, but I, I'll just, this is a story that was posted in no, there. No, you have so. to believe everything you read on the internet. Abe so, Lincoln said that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is a, uh, it's, it's cross-posted from this other subreddit that says, today I learned. So this is a, this is kind of a little, a small story. I'll read this small story to you and then you can give me your reaction. Um, 
There was a story about a guy who kept asking his whole family to buy Bitcoin, and none of his family listened to him. He bought Bitcoin and then sold it for a small sum, like $5,000. Years later, Bitcoin took off, and he realized if he had held onto it, his Bitcoin would be worth $57 million. Unable to deal with the knowledge, he killed himself. It's human psychology that a loss or perceived loss is extremely painful, more so than any gain. This guy gained $5,000 from Bitcoin, but he felt as if he had lost $57 million. The imaginary loss gutted him. So sometimes I think it's better not to think about what you may have lost or the opportunities you had missed, but focus solely on the things that you're grateful for. Our brains have a way of magnifying our mistakes to the point that they become poisonous. Hang in there. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I I think the, the final analysis there was about right. You know, I mean, what it could have, should have, you can go to the stock market any day and find a stock that moved 100% and you can then hate yourself for not buying it yesterday. Or you can say, okay, what indication did I have that I should have bought this stock yesterday? And if there wasn't one, then guess what? There wasn't one. You, you had no way of knowing that it could have gone any higher. I always try to be, just be forward looking with everything. What happened? What could I learn from this? And how can I apply it to the future? What happened happened. If we, you know, you can spend your entire life uh, looking at the past and, and imagining what could have happened. You know, of course, I wish I had bought, you know, 10 Bitcoins for, you know, $20 back in, in 2010. But, you know, odds are if I had, I probably would have sold them for $100 a piece in 20, you know, in 2011 or something, you know, like, so. I would have done the same. Yeah. <laughs> and thought well, I was a genius for making $1,000. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think these are all about like the fantasy if i had a time machine like of course i'd be a trillionaire right like you could just like bet on any sports game any like buy any stock you know it's just i i think more of that as a daydreaming thing but i i guess i don't personally dread anything that i didn't you know i could have there's like a million scenarios where you could have been a billionaire if you had only bought one thing right so like why is this one tripping you up you know that's just my thoughts on it and there's always another opportunity tomorrow so you know cash is a position so uh, there's nothing wrong with holding cash. Yeah, exactly. I I, I think it's like for every Bitcoin you could have bought, you could have bought, you know, that other cryptocurrency that's like fallen off the charts, you know, like, you know, so at least you, you got your 5,000 in this example, you could have like gone negative, you know, whatever. Right. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Risk I agree. I think, I think that really comes down to psychology. That's human psychology. People just have a tendency to not, like I said, yeah, they can beat themselves up on these things, but there's, yeah, what, what can you do? You can move forward or you can, uh, you, you can look backward. So my, my goal is to look forward. All righty. So this, oh, go ahead. Oh, okay. I was going to say on that as well, like, don't get discouraged either. Like, this is a learning process. We're all learning and there's a lot of opportunity to make a lot of money. So uh, keep going at it. All right. So this is the last one. And then it's on kind of point about learning, but maybe a little bit more skeptical take about uh, learning things. So um, this is a, uh, it's a, it's a kind of a screen capture on YouTube and the article says how to make $500 a day tricking YouTube viewer to tricking YouTube viewers into thinking they can make $500 a day through trading. And then it has this guy, with the picture, and he's kind of pointing at his thumbs at himself and he's smiling and there's some stock stuff going on in the background. And then uh, the top comment, YouTube crypto script for success. What's up guys. Are you ready for secret crypto knowledge question mark? But first two minute paid promotion price prediction. Things might go up, but they also might go down. Join my Telegram group. All right, that's it for today. Don't forget to smash that like button and obliterate the bell icon so you always get notified. So <laughs> your thoughts on that? I mean, that's, just, that's you know, yeah, people are, I think are doing it. That's all CNBC does. I mean, and they, yeah, they come out, they, you know, you have these, oh, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about the hottest stocks of the day. And then, you know, what, you have Jim Cramer come on and say, ah, this stock's going up, this stock's going up. And you look at his history and he, he gets a 50% right. And, you know, and then when anyone actually like gives any real commentary, they're just like that, though. They say, well, this one could go up and this one could go down. You know, I think that's one of the reasons I even like what I do in my stream. I say I am betting right now at 315 that this one's going to continue to go up. And I'll admit that I'm wrong if it goes to 305. Uh, piggybacking on that, like going learning your own analysis can I put you way farther ahead than just relying on somebody or just block blindly following somebody. So uh, yeah, learning that yourself can make a big difference. Yes. Yeah, so, so my, my take is always, I'm always a skeptic. Like I'm just like, you know, I, I don't believe anything and, you know, I have to find out for myself, you know, and I have to try it out for myself. So um, I can see why these ads are appealing and why people keep doing it. I think there are, there's this, again, 
you know, how do multi-level marketing schemes make money? You know, there's people always wanting to join these things. I think there's this desire in America, you know, to get rich quick or this desire to take shortcuts or this desire to like, you know, turn, make $500 a day. Right. I mean, who doesn't want to make $500 a day, you know, not doing, you know, something super challenging. Right. Um, and so I think that just shows, you know, the hope that, you know, maybe Navate of, you know, some of the population out there, but my general advice is, you know, always be a skeptic. I don't think it, things are necessarily that easy. There is no Holy grail in trading. That's for sure. All righty. Well, I guess any, any final thoughts, Michael or Sean? I think we covered it. So, uh, uh, yeah, just as a beginner trader, uh, definitely learn as much as you can and don't get discouraged. Couldn't have said it better myself. Well, all righty. Well, thanks for being on with us, Sean. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, this is Trading for Keeps. I'm Brian. And this is Michael. Thanks for joining us.